Warning, today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. In this series of special Then Is Now episodes, 13 Days of Hallowtober, we're exploring what are widely regarded as the scariest movies of all time. Joining me today is Patrick Rahal, a.k.a. Patsy the Angry Nerd. He's the award-winning host of the Throwdown Thursday Podcast, Shark Bites Podcast, and The Loudest Sports Show, as well as author of How Much Do You Tip an Exorcist? contributing author to more lore from the mythos volumes one and two and contributing author to vhs nightmares coming out october 31st welcome to the show patrick oh thank you for having me i'm very excited to uh discuss our subject matter excellent excellent our subject matter of course is the film the thing from 1982 often called john carpenter's remake of howard hawks's the thing from another world from 1951 but it's more of a reinterpretation of the original novella who goes there written by john campbell in 1938 100,000 years ago it found its way into our galaxy frozen wasteland of Antarctica. It could not escape. Now the men of Station 4 have made a monumental discovery. An alien creature had frozen, but not to death. place to hide. Further ado, I will give you the synopsis of the film. In Antarctica, a Norwegian helicopter pursues a sled dog to an American research station. The Americans witness the Norwegian passenger accidentally blow up the helicopter and himself. The Norwegian pilot fires a rifle and shouts at the Americans, but they cannot understand him as he is shot dead in self-defense by Station Commander Gary. The American helicopter pilot, R.J. McCready, and Dr. Copper leave to investigate the Norwegian base. 
Among the charred ruins and frozen corpses, they find the burned remains of a malformed humanoid, which they recover to the American station. Their biologist, Blair, performs autopsies on the remains and finds a normal set of human organs. Clark, the base's dog handler, kennels the new sled dog, and it soon morphs into a creature and absorbs the other station dogs. The disturbance alerts the team, and Mac insists that Childs use a flamethrower to incinerate the creature. Blair autopsies the new creature and learns that it can perfectly imitate other organisms. Recovered Norwegian data leads the Americans to a large excavation site containing a partially buried alien spacecraft and a smaller human-sized dig site. Norris estimates that the alien ship has been buried for at least 100,000 years. Blair grows paranoid that the creature could assimilate all life on Earth in a matter of years. The station implements controls to reduce the risk of assimilation. From here, it becomes a claustrophobic whodunit as everyone suspects each other of being assimilated and they must work together in order to survive and prevent the thing from reaching the civilized world. So, Patrick, when did you first see this movie and what was your first impression? Um, I only saw this movie recently within the last few years because I I'd never seen it. It was just one of those things that uh, somehow had never crossed my radar, which uh, one of those things that I very much regret because this is something that I wish I had seen as a kid. And um, it's watching it for the first time. Like I knew that there were really good special effects and I knew that the people involved had really done a, a lot of hard work. Like, um, Rob Botton is just phenomenal, and he is uh, somehow never credited with one of the greatest werewolf transformations of all time in The Howling, because it often gets right. overshadowed <laughs> by uh, Rick Baker's work on American Werewolf in London. But Rob Botton's work in The Thing, right? he did all of the special effects, with the exception of the dog thing, which was done by Stan Winston, but Stan Winston didn't want to put his name on the film because he was, you know, obviously much more well known, uh, and you know he didn't want to overshadow the work that Rob had done because Rob was working, you know, twenty-two hours a day, seven days a week, just you know right, fabricating right. all these incredible effects. Um, which oh uh, to, to this day they have yet to be eclipsed often imitated but never ever duplicated um right, you right. Know, we even saw an homage to it in uh the uh, second half of uh it it chapter two with uh young stan Uris yeah head. which part uh when when they go to the house and they see uh stan stanley Uris's head pop out of the uh out of the refrigerator that's right and it sprouts legs and runs around. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I saw this movie in the theater um, when it first came out in 1982. I was with my mother and my grandmother. And while my grandmother pretty much laughed through the film, nothing jaded her except maybe the, uh, the Amityville movie. That scared her. Um, my mother hid under her coat through the whole movie. And for me, I was 12 years old. I was mesmerized. And this was the first horror film that I wasn't scared at. And... Instead, it was like I, w I was just caught in this abject rapture at the amazing spectacle that was unfolding before my eyes, you know. And I, I just fell in love with this movie since the first time I saw it, and I, I've watched it many, many times since then. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like, ever, since I've seen it, like, I've, I've made sure to show it to my brothers. I watched it with uh, my wife, and I have 
multiple versions of it. You know, I have the the DVD, then I got the Blu-ray, and then I got the special Shout Factory Blu-ray. Like I have it nice. on digital. Like I've I've got so many versions because <laughs> just in case something happens to one, I have some backups because this is right. one of those movies you can just throw on uh, at any time. I, I recently did an interview with someone and she travels all over the world. And the first time she saw the thing, she had traveled with her family to Antarctica and they were watching oh, wow. it on a boat just offshore. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> like that's the most perfect place I could think of to watch this movie. Um, I love that's films awesome. like this because they're so uh, it's the isolation that really ratchets up the terror, yes. you know, like being at the bottom of the uh, bottom of the ocean, like in the abyss or being, you know, out in space, like with alien or, you know, name a movie, you know, um, right, it's the isolation, right. knowing that you are the last line of defense and no one is coming to help you. So it's all on you. Right. Right, exactly, and that's just that's just the charm of this movie. Is it's um, you know, that claustrophobic feel that, and like you said, you know, that that's it. You know, if this thing gets out, no pun intended, forget it. It's over for the world. They, they even show, you know, what's his name? Uh, was it Blair had the computer simulation mm-hmm. that basically said, okay, if this thing gets out and uh, starts to assimilate, this is how long it'll take to assimilate the entire population. And it wasn't very long. I think it was. Um, matter of weeks to months that that would take over the world yeah it it was uh it was one of those and you would never know like this isn't like oh i'm pretty sure that guy's a zombie because he got bitten it was you have no clue who is a thing and i think that's really the the masterful stroke of this story is even if you have you know five people in a room and two of them are the thing, each one of those is going to act independently and might turn on the other because each, as we learn, each individual cell of this thing will fight to defend itself. Hence the 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 blood test. Right, and when you go upon repeated viewing, there are some clues as to who may or may not be the thing. Mm-hmm. Like um, Norris was it. Um... Yeah, it was Norris was the one who gets his chest broken over, which we'll talk about at a later point. There's a moment where they say, well, let's put Norris in charge. And he's like, no, no, I, I don't feel up to it. And it's not unless you go back and watch it and that he probably, because he knows he's not going to want to be in charge. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't, maybe really doesn't in the nuances that everyone else does, even though he's assimil- assimilated them. And there was another one earlier, actually, same character, there's a scene where the dog that comes to the base is walking through, just kind of looking around. We don't know the dog is the thing at that point. And he goes into a room and there's a shadow of someone sitting on the bed and the dog walks in and the person pets him. And if you look at it, it's, it's Norris's, it's Norris's shadow. You can tell by his hair. He's the only one that, that had that kind of hair. So. I will, I will push back on that just a little bit only because uh, that was one of those scenes from what I've heard of different breakdowns. Um, it wasn't anyone from the cast that they used. Like Carpenter made it really? specifically ambiguous. So it's like, oh, it huh. could be this guy, but like he just used somebody from the crew and had, you know, and used their <laughs> silhouette to really keep it ambiguous, which I thought was. Phenomenal. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, oh, wow. Uh, okay. All right. Well, you learned something new every day. <laughs> I've watched so many of like the really deep. Uh, in-depth breakdowns like 
well, if he was a thing, why did he have a heart attack? Well, because the thing replicates you perfectly. And if it replicates exactly. a bad heart, it could still give right. out. And you know what's funny is um, it wasn't until I was doing research for this particular episode that I actually knew what the the characters roles were with the exception of you know obviously the doctors and and mccready and and Nalls, it was the chef it was hard to tell maybe windows okay he was the radio yeah. guy it was hard to tell like who was who led up and playing with each with each character but first let's talk about of course the director john carpenter yes we could there's so many people on the show that we've talked about that we could do entire episodes all about. And Carpenter is one of those, you know, he's done everything. I'm just going to give you the short list here to the audience to, you know, assault on precinct 13 escape from New York, Halloween, the fog vampires, Prince of darkness. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what I can say except that this guy's career has been a huge influence on my own life. Yeah, he's just so successful. And what a lot of folks don't realize, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know he directed this and I know he did that. He also does a lot of the music for his films as well, which is why I was because right. uh, he he's very synth heavy, like, you know, the Halloween yes. theme and stuff like that, which is why I was very surprised to find out that he did not score this film. It was Academy Award winner Ennio Morricone who scored this film. Right. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and he's... And I wonder if he... Maybe he just either was too busy because it was such a special effects intensive film that he needed to oversee things, or... You know, what was his reasoning? Do you know? I don't know, but it's probably because this was such a, you know, uh, uh, very heavy shoot like there was a lot going on in a tight uh window you know right everything had to be done yeah. really well like these effects like they didn't have a chance to make four or five or six of these things so every shot you know like the uh the norris had that whole sequence the defibrillator the arms the 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 head like and the fire going on in the background all of that had to be done right the first time because right, they right. didn't have extras of these things. Like the budget was tight. Um, I've had the chance to uh, chat with uh, Tommy Waits on multiple occasions and he, who played windows um, and he, it was just like, it was the most fun film he's ever worked on. Like it was just a nonstop party with, you know, <laughs> Kurt Russell and all these guys. I will say that one thing about this film that uh, you will not get from anything else. Uh, it's Wilford Brimley without a mustache. Uh, that's a very rare sighting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and without the diabetes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I love the cast. I love the way they interact with each other. Um, somebody on Facebook the yeah, other day. Yeah, they have good chemistry. Yeah, uh, somebody on Facebook the other day had a post where it was like, describe your favorite movie, but make it boring. And it's like, a group of researchers in Antarctica play Guess Who? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Which is That's pretty great. accurate, I think. <laughs> so uh, let's move on a little bit. I mean, we could, we could sing Carpenter's praises all oh, year long, yeah. and we'll keep touching back on him the film the screenplay was written by bill lancaster and when i did research on him he had a short career as an actor and a screenwriter but before writing um not only all of the original bad news bears films but the tv series of the same name from the late 70s so i thought that was really interesting that he went from the bad news bears to the thing 
<laughs> yeah, you know, that it, it kind of reminds me of the career trajectory of um, uh, William Friedkin, who wrote The Exorcist, because he was being typecast because he wrote all the Pink Panther movies, and he's like, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want people to think I'm a I'm a one note pony or a one trick pony. Let me uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me write something a little darker." And he wrote The Exorcist, right, right. <laughs> which is. <laughs> So it's a kind of the same thing with Lancaster. Well, Blatty, who wrote the novel, did the script, but it Friedkin had yeah, a I, yeah, I, I always huge hand in that. Yeah, I, I always do that. I always say Friedkin. It, it was William Peter Blatty. So I, I got my wires crossed there. All right. So now, first of all, this film well, we had mentioned we'd talk about the characters, and it's chock full of character actors. There's so many of them in this in this film. And again, it was this would take us hours if we really did a deep dive. But let's start off with the star. Who really is a star? He's not much of a character actor. He's he's a you know a major star. It's Kurt Russell who plays R.J. Mac McCready. He's the helicopter pilot at the base. He's got such an amazing career. Like I said, that we we're gonna have to do a full episode on him in the future. Now I remember seeing him as a kid in Lost in Space and Gilligan's Island. He had a a role in an episode of each of those shows, as well as playing the character Dexter Riley in three Disney movies, which was the computer wore tennis shoes. Now you see him, now you don't. And the strongest man in the world. And I just recently actually caught the computer wore tennis shoes on Disney plus. And I remembered him and I remembered the movie and it was not a great movie, but he, I remember Kurt Russell, you know, growing up, watching him grow up. And then of course, I mean, his film career, again, I'm just going to give, throw out a short list here, but you know, you got Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, Tango and Cash, The Mean Season, Overboard, Stargate, Sky High, and Death Proof. But I think the movie that put him on the map as a solid actor was a TV movie. It was the Elvis Presley biopic called Elvis, also directed by John Carpenter. And I think that's kind of where they really started to get together and, and do projects like you know, uh, Escape from New York and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I hadn't known much about him. I'm like, I I know, like I had known who he was, but my taste in movies uh, has evolved over time. I knew Kurt Russell from films like Soldier and um, oh, there was another one where he was Breakdown, I think it was called, um, with uh, Jack Noseworthy from uh, Event Horizon. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I knew him from. And, like, in Breakdown, he's not a badass. You know, also, uh, uh, what's the other one? He's not a bad Executive, executive decision. Decision, yeah. yeah. The one where they kill Seagal the first, like, five minutes of the movie. So, five like, minutes. Yeah. Like, I didn't I didn't know he was, like, this badass guy because I hadn't really seen him. I, like, when I saw Soldier, I had saw that after the other movies. I'm like, oh, it's so nice. That, like, they're giving this guy some badass roles, not knowing that he was, you know, The Thing and Jack Burton and and uh, Snake Plissken. Right, yeah. <laughs> so my introduction was a little different. Like, I kind of went the opposite direction. But That's funny. But yeah, I, I and, uh, yeah, and it's it's so funny too when you show pictures of him when he was younger to people, and that you're like, who's that? And like, oh, uh, wait, is that Kurt Russell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I like though uh, is the fact that they, you know, because I've I've read the book that this is based on because I, I'm like, oh, this is so great, I got to read the book that it's based on, and there are a lot of times when you read the book that the movie is based on, and you're like. Well, that's kind of disappointing. Like the movie is so much better. You know, anytime you hear somebody say the book is better, <laughs> that's about like a 50 50 right. thing. Um, Kurt Russell's character, RJ McCready, 
is yeah. described as in one paragraph, I think they use the word six or seven times, bronze. He had a bronze beard and he was bronze. Like they, <laughs> It's like, get a thesaurus. Like the, you can use a different word to describe him. Like, what is he, Doc Savage? <laughs> right? It was just over and over. It's like his hair was bronze and his beard was bronze. His knuckles were bronze. It's like, what? can we come up with something else? I'm sure there are other descriptors. But right yeah, I, I now it's interesting in this movie oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say i also consider this one of the greatest sequels of all time um not because of the movie from the 50s but because in 2011 they made a prequel thus retroactively making this a sequel so uh i consider it That's one of the right. greatest sequels yep. of all time right up there with you know terminator 2 and and, and empire strikes back aliens aliens yep yeah <laughs> Yes, and um, we'll maybe we'll briefly talk about that other one at towards the end of the show here. Um, but one thing I wanted to say about um, the characters in this movie too is not only do they all have good chemistry with each other, the actors, um, Carpenter doesn't waste any time with the story. We don't need to know their backstories, and you know we don't need to know a whole heck of a lot about these characters because it's evident in their actions and how they respond to things what kind of a character they are. You don't need to know in depth details about their lives you know in order to enjoy this movie right there's not a lot of uh you know ham-handed exposition it's like you know who's the doctor uh, the guy we call doc you know like who's in charge right. like you know that gary's in charge because he's the guy who kind of steps up at the very beginning and it's too bad that nobody spoke Norwegian because if you speak Norwegian, the beginning of the movie is ruined for you because he, right. of what he says. And, um, you know, Keith David just being Keith David. Um, I remember seeing this the first time and I see T.K. Carter as Nulls and I'm like, that was the guy who played the mentor on Punky Brewster. Like, that's what I knew him from. <laughs> And he's just zooming around on his roller skates, which was awesome. Um, yeah, everybody does such a great job. Like, oh yeah, it's it's, and you can tell that it's not just uh, the mistrust that they have of each other. Is like some of these guys know that, like, well, I'm more important, so I'm higher up in the hierarchy. Like McCready knows that, you know, I'm the chopper pilot. You know. I'm super important, so I can right. kind of get away with stuff that not everybody else is going to get away with. Like, he has his own sleeping quarters, his own shack. Um, so he's able to do a little more, and he has a little bit of that, you know, entitled attitude that maybe somebody like Windows doesn't have, you know, or, you know, Childs having right. to, to share a room with, uh, with Palmer. I mean, they make the best of it, but, you know. Right. And, you know, the, the, all the actors are so good. I mean, uh, Keith David, who played Childs, he's, by the way, he's the mechanic on the base. He is just um, one of those actors that I have loved for so long. He's just been, like like you said, when you when you saw T.K. Carter in Punky Brewster, you're like, oh, my God, it's Knowles. And when I see him, I'm like, oh, my God, it's Childs, you know. <laughs> he was in They Live, of course, with, mm -hmm. um, with uh, the Rod John Piper. Carpenter's film They Live. Um, he was a general in Armageddon uh, recently, and I recognize his voice. He or recently in the past, you know, uh, five or six years, he was the voice of Solovar on the Flash TV series, which was one of the gorillas mm -hmm. and part of the whole, you know, Gorilla City storyline. And he's done so many 
episodes of shows and movies that we couldn't really list them all here. But the one I, I remember him from was he was on an episode of Highlander, and that blew me away because I love that show, and I loved him, and I was like, oh, man, he needs to be on here more often, not just one episode. Yeah, he's also the president on Rick and Morty, which is where some folks might uh, recognize him from. <laughs> there you go. You know, because I've, I've had people like, oh, that guy sounds familiar. Is it, wasn't he on Rick and Morty? And, like, a buddy of mine recognized Werner Herzog the same way. It's like, hey, that guy from The Mandalorian, like, has he been in anything else? Has he done anything else? It's like, oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he also was on Rick and Morty. I know. So that's where you know him. And it's funny. I'm really good with voices, but shame on me. I did not know until very recently that Clancy Brown is the voice of Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants. Right? <laughs> so like, shame that's... on me for not knowing that. Well, I mean, it doesn't really sound like you. Usually he sounds like he does when he plays Surtur in uh, Thor Ragnarok. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, all right, so we talked about Wilfred Brimley. He plays Blair, who's the senior biologist. And, of course, the one movie I always remembered him from, aside from the diabetes commercials, was the movie Cocoon. Yep. And his famous line was, we won't get any older and we won't ever die. Yeah, and that's just always stuck in my head. <laughs> Brian Dennehy and Don Amici. Right. Yep. <laughs> Great movie. Um, we mentioned T.K. Carter, Palmer. He's the pot-smoking assistant mechanic at the base. And he's been in a lot of stuff, but it's not a lot of stuff that I've watched, except I do remember seeing him in an episode of The Human Target quite a while ago. And again, it's like every time these actors pop up, you jump up out of your chair. You're like, oh, my God, that's so-and-so from The Thing, you know? Yeah, like you see somebody. Uh, and then uh, oh. I was going to say um, Richard Maser. Maser? I, I, yes. Uh, Maser. I don't know. I always said Maser. <laughs> my, my brother and I were arguing over something. It was like... It's like, oh, he's the guy from this movie. I'm like, no, he's not. I'm like, yeah, he is. It's the same guy because I showed the thing to my to my brothers, and they're like, I'm telling yeah. you, that's the same guy. He played this. I'm like, there's no way. And it's like, oh, it, that was him. Like, <laughs> that's so weird. Like, I didn't. And I'm now I'm trying to remember what yeah. it was, but like he told me. Well, well, like, a couple of films he was in was License to Drive and Risky Business. Um. And the one I remember recognizing him on TV was he was in the original It miniseries. Yeah, Stanley Uris. That's what he. That's what my brother had mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like, yeah, that's that's the guy from It. I'm like, what? No. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> hmm. That's too funny. Interesting. You know, Richard Dysart plays Doc Copper. He's one of those guys that has a very distinct voice. In fact, I always thought he did cartoon voices, and what he has done voices on the Batman animated series. But I thought he did. Um, you know, older cartoons, but he didn't, but he does have that distinct voice. He plays Doc Copper. Yeah, and oh, poor Doc Copper. He had a <laughs> he had a rough go of it. Um I loved the way they did his uh his big scene. Like the way, you know, and if we get into it, we get into it. But <clears throat> I was I was a fan, um you know, and that's the thing with these with these horror movies, with these scary movies, is there's so many times that, you know, they try to outdo each other with the death scenes and Hey, there's it's tough to outdo that one yeah exactly it's it's just intense how you know it you just don't expect it and you know when you're first watching the movie you're just thinking oh well they either the guy's gonna die or he's gonna live you don't expect his chest to burst open and giant teeth to chop off the doctor's arms and the head to stretch off oh yeah and the table and spider legs you know yeah like that's that's one of the greatest, you know, and 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 Palmer's reaction to that is absolutely perfect because <laughs> I think that's how any of us would react to that. 
Right, right. And didn't they use that line in the new in It Part Two? Yeah, the same thing. I was like, "Yep." This, I'm like, "Oh, this is I, oh, that's definitely a yeah. uh, an homage to It." And then he says it, and it's like, "Yep, yep, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent." So just to quickly go over a couple of the other actors in the show, um, we got Peter Maloney played Bennings. He was the meteorologist. Uh, we mentioned Richard Mazer. He was Clark, the dog handler. Hallahan played Norris. And the one thing I remember about him wasn't necessarily something that he was in, but he said that no matter where he went in the world, somebody would recognize him from the thing. And he just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Like he totally did not expect from just doing that one movie that people would recognize him all the time. You got Donald Moffat, who plays Gary. The I remember him from uh, Clear and Present Danger. And he also played the tax man in the Robin Williams film Popeye, Yep, which was a really funny movie. He's and played two presidents. I tried looking it up because I thought he did. He is impressive. I thought he had played this role that I'm about to mention, but he never has. I think he could have played Stan Laurel in an you know, Laurel and Hardy movie because he looks just like him. I agree. No, I, I had said, uh, I do agree that he's impressive, but I said he played two presidents because he was uh, President Bennett in uh, Clear and Present Danger, but he also played Lyndon Johnson yep. in The Right Stuff. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, these guys, these character actors are just uh, so amazing, and they're in so many different things. I have a book. It's called... Um, um, Names you'll never remember with faces you'll never forget. And it's just so true, you know? It's yeah. like, oh, that guy. Who's that guy? <laughs> well, it's like uh, Tommy Waits in, uh, you know, was in The Warriors. You know, one of my all-time right. favorite right. films. Yep. That's right. That's the one I was going to mention that I remember him from as well. And, of course, it was reversed. Like, I guess I probably saw The Warriors after I saw The Thing, but I, I recognized him. It wasn't the other way around. I didn't recognize him in The Thing from The Warriors. I recognized him in The Warriors from The Thing. See, for me, it was the other way around because I've been watching The Warriors since I was, like, 11. Because um, that's <laughs> nice. one of my dad's favorite movies. <laughs> like, we played in nice. the city to introduce my side of the wedding party when I got married. So... <laughs> That's awesome. It's been a bit of an influential uh, film for us. So I was like, and my brothers, of course, I didn't tell them he was in it. But I was like, oh, watch this guy. And like, oh, my God, it's Fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious, man. We'll return to 13 Days of Hallotober after these messages. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, 
and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk. And the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Monster Kid Radio! Oh man, so the scene, the, the big scene in the movie. I mean, well, first of all, when when you first watch this and the dog walks in like like how much going into this movie did you know beforehand um very little like i remember what watching it for the first time like oh what a bunch of jerry shooting at a dog like what's wrong with you i'm like oh i hope you die <laughs> i hope your helicopter explodes and then it did so i was like oh <laughs> i didn't mean it <laughs> But no, like I, I knew very little. Like I knew it was like an alien that assimilated people, and like that was the extent of my knowledge. Like I think the first time well, I saw good. this was uh, a friend of mine had done like an outdoor movie night, and this was one of the movies. And I remember watching it like outside on a projector screen, and I was like, "Oh my god, I have to own this movie." And I think at the time I did, <laughs> but it was one of those like I hadn't ever watched it. Because I had bought a bunch of movies that were cheap, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a classic. I'll buy this. This is a classic. I'll buy this. You know, like I had They Live, which I had never seen. I owned for about 15 years and had never even, like, I'd look at nice. it and be like, meh, maybe later. <laughs> I like Roddy Piper, but how good of an actor can he be? Turns out pretty damn good. Um, right. <laughs> and I think I the thing that got me to watch it was the fact that they had redone uh scene for scene they recreated that uh that fight scene on South Park with a couple of the <laughs> handicap kids and it is lit it is scene for scene everything that they do like up up to the point where it's like you know you know put on the glasses or start eating the trash can like oh but he was like put on the hat <laughs> put on the hat Jimmy oh it was great that's so funny and, you know, not to get on a tangent, but that scene in They Live is perhaps, even though it can come across, especially out of context, as being ridiculous because the fight just goes on and on and nobody could either, you know, you, hitting a skull is like hitting a wall, mm-hmm. first of all, and then taking a punch is a, a whole other thing. But that scene is the most important part of that movie because Roddy Piper has to convince Keith David 
to put the damn glasses on <laughs> and see for himself what's going on. And it's it's critical to the movie, and I just love how it's done. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's well done. And again, you know, it's not really a tangent if we're talking about a Carpenter film with... Uh, with, with Keith true. David, so <laughs> I mean it's it's still connected. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it just it's again it's a testament to the skill that Carpenter has for creating a scene and and framing a scene because like with that one you're watching every single detail as opposed to certain scenes in the thing where you have to go back and rewatch it. It's like wait who was in the room when this happened? Where was that guy? Did I hear right. keys fall on the floor? What's going on on this scene? Right. Like. <laughs> Because there is a point when you're like, who had the keys? Well, I had the keys and he had the keys, but like no one else could do it. Like, so who unlocked the the fridge and sabotaged all the blood? You know? And that's one of those mysteries that I have yet to solve. I still cannot figure out who could have done that. I believe it was, hold on, I have to remember his name, Fuchs. I believe it was Fuchs, the redhead, who was, because when he is in With the, the glasses? room. Yeah, like they find him outside and he's partially transformed. And he's he burnt himself before yeah. it would get to him. Yeah, they uh, they yeah, they uh they throw gas on him and they hit him with the flare, I think. Wait a minute, I think we're confusing two characters. Um no, Fuchs is the one with the glasses. The redheaded guy is um Hold on, I gotta cheat. I got the big Bennings. Bennings. Bennings, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Bennings. Because he's he's got the coat and they're chasing him outside. But he had the keys because when uh, I think it was Windows had the keys or somebody had the keys and they go in that room uh, where they have the, the, the body and you hear the keys fall on the floor. So anybody could have picked it up. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I'll it's not go something back again, I had noticed. It was something that I, somebody who did a YouTube video about it noticed and I am like, oh, well, that's that makes but sense. Well, the reason, though, I, I ruled out Bennings was because it appeared, or at least it appeared, that he did be until the corpse or the, whatever you want to call it, the body that they had in the storage room had gotten to him. Because remember, he's like a, a, sitting on the chair and all the tentacles are kind yes. of pulling around him. And That's when the keys were and... dropped. Because Windows, I think it was Windows who walked in there and saw him. And Windows dropped the keys. So then it, it might have been Norris because Norris was right there with him. Right. Right. Unless, so okay. So could have been Norris who did it then. Yeah. And before they could do, yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch this again now because. I know. Oh, too bad. I know. And now it's like, wait a minute. When did that happen exactly? Like, I'm gonna have to turn the volume up. Uh, but yeah, I know he draw. He had the keys because he was supposed to lock up. And okay. when he saw Bennings getting assimilated, it freaked him out, and he drops the keys. Like you can't see it. But you hear the keys hit the ground. Right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's, you know, what, a 30, 30 year mystery finally solved. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're coming up on the 40th so, anniversary. Uh, what I was getting to earlier, what'd you say? I said we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the thing. I know. Oh, geez. 40. Wow. I misspoke. Um, so, what I was getting at earlier was um, the. Um, the dog, when the dog first is introduced into the kennel, did you expect what was going to happen when its head burst open? No, when I saw, like, I, I had no clue what was about to happen, 
Like, I was the same as you at 12 watching this in the theater for the first time. So I was like, oh, the dog's going to do something. What's going to happen? And then to watch its head (laughs) split open and, like, the other dog's trying to chew through the the wire to get out. And it's like, oh, oh, man, like, that's that's crazy. Like, that's so, (laughs) what? Like, and you can't look away. Instead of being scared. I was enthralled. I was like, "Oh my god, I, I need to see more." <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, oh, like, oh man, like, and you you think like, oh, there's no way they can top this, and then you see like five minutes later this huge conglomeration of like all these sled dogs, and mm-hmm. it's like, what is right? The, and like, how are they gonna top and, that? <laughs> And some of some of what comes out of it is like a plant type creature, the one that comes at Childs when he right before he blows the flamethrower, it looks yep. like a plant, and then there's like an, a giant eyeball, and yeah, it's it's oh, like it's so cool, it's so cool. Like first of all, to come up with like this design, like this is what I want this creature to look like, right. and then to put it into like to make it real. Like, those are two completely... It's like, we want you to, you know, come up with this crazy monster thing. And it's like, all right, I'll come up with a crazy monster. And then it's like, okay, now you've come up with this, you know, really elaborate, you know, this thing, for lack of a better term. Um, now make it real. And it has to move around and <laughs> fill it with animatronics and also do some other crazy stuff with it. Right. <laughs> And th- that whole scene is just so good. I mean, from from one of the dogs literally trying to literally biting the the chain link fence and mm-hmm. ripping it apart. He was, that's how scared the dog was, was to, to get out. It was ripping the chain link fence with his teeth. To one of the best horror movie lines ever, because usually people in horror movies are they're stupid. They go down the basement, they split up, and all that. And the line in this movie that makes it work, and that's it's really what sold it for me, like a hundred percent, was when. Um, uh, what's his name? Bennings goes up to Charles. He goes, Mac wants the flamethrower. You heard him. Now get moving. It's like, all right, this is cool. We're not going to run. We're not going to hide. We're going to go get the flamethrower and t- face this thing head on. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you look at something like that and like if a bear is coming at you, okay, I have a gun. A bear is coming at me. Let me shoot it in the face or the leg or something that will stop it from attacking me. When you see this right. dog thing, which is what they call it, where where yeah. do you shoot that? Like, <laughs> I don't know where right. I'm supposed to shoot this, but <laughs> fire will solve all problems. They did give the, the dogs that hadn't fully been assimilated, like, mercy killings, which I thought was kind of good. Yeah, I think... Um, and uh, what's poor Clark was, was not too happy about that. <laughs> no, didn't... Uh, didn't uh, yeah, Wilford Brimley went through and killed all the rest of the dogs, didn't he? Because he was so concerned about it I, getting away. I yes, because it was. I remember the axe, but, but but when the creature was assimilating him, there was one that was kind of strangled in the um yeah in the tentacles, and because I remember the blood squib coming off of the the dog's chest, and it was like howling, and because it was sort of a mercy kill, you know, at least on that one. Yeah. But then, so now then, you know, we've got a lot of this stuff going on. They've gone to the the Norwegian base. They've they've brought it back and all that. They've they figured out that something can assimilate you. And then we get to now the paranoia breaks out. Nobody can trust anyone. They don't know who could be a thing and who couldn't be. But you know, like Kurt Russell says, or McCready says, 
if you are with things, you know, attack me now. So some of you are human too. And I think that whole momentum of the film is just, it, it's just so intense that it, it just works a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, because you don't know who is who, like, that's why I liked the blood test so much. Uh, especially the yes, scene, a terrifying scene, <laughs> the scene leading up to that when they have like the, uh, you know, like, like, oh, we found, you know, shredded, shredded long johns with McCready's name on them because, you know, they had learned that, uh, like, when the thing assimilates you, it tears through your clothes. And so it's like they're setting right. it up to make you think that McCready is a thing. And he comes back in from outside and he's got the dynamite. You know, it's like, you're not going to shoot me because I have dynamite. Like, right. Um, and he somehow he's able to get the upper hand. And that line when he's like. First, I'll show you what I already know, and like, superheats the thing and stick the uh, the the paper clip or whatever the little piece of metal and sticks it into his own blood. Like, see, I'm human, and like, then they check the other guy. He's like, "Oh, you killed that guy too." Like, what do you think about that? And Macready just doesn't even <laughs> that like, makes you a murderer. <laughs> yeah, Macready doesn't even like like bat an eye. He's just like, "Yep," and next guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's funny because when McCready does his blood first, Child is like, "Yeah, it's a crock of shit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he thinks that for a couple of minutes. Uh, eventually, he uh, he he changes his tune just a little bit. Uh... <laughs> right, right. But it's um, it's just before that scene and just after the scene where McCready comes in with the dynamite, Nalls gets bumped into the wall or to the uh, shelving unit and has a heart attack. And that's that whole scene that we started to talk about where, you know, Doc Hopper jumps on him with the paddles. Boom, boom, one, two, three, right through the chest. I just remember there's so much about that scene that blew me away. Not just breaking through the chest, which was a shock to begin with. And then the teeth was another thing on top of it. But then it starts to grow out of it with Norris's face on it. And then Norris's head is stretching, trying to get away. I mean, it's like like we established every single cell in this thing is alive and they all share the same consciousness. So this thing is to can. And I think it really thought it had a chance getting away as a head with, with um, spider legs. <laughs> and that, that, uh, that effect watching the multi-segmented insectile legs pop out of this thing and two eyes pop up and it's right. running and like, talks. it's the upside down head with this grimace of death on it as it's yeah. skittering away and the line from Palmer like <laughs> give us the line oh you got to be fucking kidding me <laughs> like <laughs> he turns around and it's just and like McCready turns around and it's like watching this thing and it's just like burn it burn it and like oh, oh yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> and what's great about that line is not only did it break the tension from and the terror from what we just saw, but it's probably most likely what the audience was thinking when they saw it too. He just verbalized it. Like maybe maybe the actor hadn't seen the the effect yet. Like and Carpenter just wanted an honest reaction from him. <laughs> oh, that's that could be, yeah. Like that would have been great. And like he looked, it's like, what? What is this? Oh. <laughs> and if we back up just a little bit, just before the spider legs grow out of Norris's head, 
there's the scene where the head is, you know, separated itself from the body, dropped to the floor, and the tongue lashes out like a whip with an awesome sound effect that sounds just like a whip. It's like, and then it pulls, it pulls itself pulls over. itself across the room <laughs> by its tongue. <laughs> like, and it's trying to sneak away while, like, the head is up on this, like, I don't know, like, I don't even know what you would call it, like... It's yeah. almost like a weird umbilicus, like that's coming up from the neck, and like, you know, you could, poor Doc Copper's got his arms bitten off. Um, yeah, <laughs> the way they did that scene was amazing. Like, they had fake arms that were made out of like gelatin and like you know fake blood and latex, and they had a guy who was a double amputee, and like they put the the arms on him. And they put a mask oh. that kind of looked like uh, um, Doc, Copper. Doc Copper. I was trying to think of his uh, Dysart. Oh, Richard Dysart, yeah. Um, they were trying to, you know, that kind of looked like him. And, like, at the camera angle, it looks like him screaming in pain. But, like, it's a mask on a, a, a totally different guy. But, like, you're not paying attention to that. You're <laughs> paying attention know that. to That's his awesome. arms. You're right. looking at his arms because, like, that's the focal point, and you're looking at these chomping jaws that used to be uh, the chest. You know, it's oh, it's so cool. Like, I love it. <laughs> it. It really is, and it's. I think it's a scene that has yet to be surpassed in any kind of movie because the computer effects today are not going to do it justice. You know, the the well, there are some movies that will use practical effects and have computer effects enhance them, which I think is the way it should be, not just completely making a monster, you know, in the computer. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Like, you know, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, uh, the prequel that came out, and there are a couple of scenes that I think had to be done completely uh, through CGI effects. Like when the guy's head splits open in the helicopter and like right. tentacles shoot out of it across the room, that might be a little difficult to do uh, right. you know, with a practical effect. Yeah. But <laughs> there were things that were done by Amalgamated Dynamics that like they made the practical effects and then the studio was like, nope, we're doing all CGI. It's like, yeah, but these effects look worse than the movie that came out 30 years ago. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was... um. I mean, I've said this before in the show. Uh, Roger Ebert once said that um, com um, stop motion effects look fake but feel real. Computer generated effects look real but feel fake. And I think that's just so true. And that's only if you have really good computer effects because there are a lot of computer effects that, you know, the first one that comes to mind is. Uh... The Mummy Returns with The Rock's face on the Scorpion King, where he's a giant scorpion. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't look real at all. doesn't feel real at all. Um, right. If you have good CGI, like in, say, I mean, you know, like the Marvel movies, yeah, that looks great. Then you turn around and, like, you look at, you know, oh, we have to CGI Henry Cavill's mustache off, and it looks terrible. Like, <laughs> how does this, how do you go from one extreme to the other with such a massive budget and people who have been doing this forever. I don't know. Right. It's, it's supposed to be, you know, who knows? better as the, the technology progresses, but like, 
you know, again, you look at stuff like this and it's like, oh, like this, this holds up today. Like I showed this to my brothers Absolutely. last December and I was like, you know, check this and not even last December, earlier, earlier this year before everything happened. Um, and I was like, what do you think about these effects? And they're like, that looks amazing. Like that's like, I'm glad it's not CGI. Like, and so many people say that because that's without knowing all the work that went into it. Like the physical right. work. Oh yeah. It, it's just incredible. So let's, um, we're kind of getting, uh, over time here. Let's, um, briefly talk about the prequel, which came out in uh, 2011 mm -hmm. and uh, a couple of issues that I have with it. I, first of all, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought that the attention to detail to making it about the Norwegian base back in 1982 was spot on. What I don't understand is first of all, why did they call it the thing again? Because there's so referenced as a remake when in fact it's a prequel. Mm -hmm. And second, you know, if they would, if they were going to call it the thing, why didn't they just call it the thing, the Norwegian base as a subtitle, you know, subtitle under it? Yeah. Like that. I, I don't know. What do you think? The, yeah. I, I didn't understand that either. It's like, if you're making a prequel for something, you don't call it the same thing. I suppose see I, I mean you can't like you know you can't make a prequel to rocky and call it rocky you know it's right <laughs> i mean there's already right and you can't call it like the thing too like it's a prequel call it the fifth uh you know like not the full word just call, right. it. Just call it the yeah yeah um or just I mean, call you can't it make a sequel thing. to Halloween and call it Halloween, you know? Oh, yeah. Imagine that. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh... But, yeah, but, like, yeah. I, I, I totally get it. It's, it. It makes sense that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we want you to know that this is what this is. But I, I totally agree with you. Like, call it, like, the Norwegian base or something or, you know, outpost yeah. whatever because, you know, the – it's uh, Outpost 31. I actually have a shirt that says McCready's Pest Control Outpost 31. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, they, you know, call it, you know, the thing Outpost, whatever Outpost it was, 17 or 22 or what, what I don't even remember what it was. But uh, I also yeah. did enjoy it. I really like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I thought some of the death scenes were pretty cool, uh, like Christopher Highview. I can never pronounce his last name correctly, but uh, the guy who played Tormund in Game of Thrones, uh, his death oh, scene right. was okay. amazing. Um, some of the stuff that we got to see, uh, in, you know, the original, uh, the 1982 film, get, you know, normally it's like, I don't care about like how we got to this point, but like when they went and examined the base and you saw like the two faced screaming burnt corpse or the guy who had killed himself and his blood froze, um, like right, that was kind of cool. Uh, I mean, I didn't need to see yeah. the guy go and like slit his wrist to understand what had happened, but to see the 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 guy getting his face kind of melded together and like having the thing uh, assimilate him and like crawling on the ground, like that was a really cool scene. It was like very uh, reminiscent of The Exorcist, you know, the the yes. spider walk. Yep. Um, and why the why the axe was in the door? Yep just plunged into the door. Yeah, like all these like it, little things. Uh, I think they did a great job of, uh, and having mostly Norwegian actors, Norwegian, you know, director, writer, um, 
I thought that worked really well, like getting to tell that side of the story. And one element of the story I thought was brilliant was that instead of doing a retread of the blood test, they figure out that, well, if this thing replicates you, it's not going to replicate your fillings. And that was how they could tell who was a thing and who was not. And it was so simple yet so brilliant. And it didn't, it wasn't a retread of the blood, the blood test. The only problem I had with that is that, uh, that's how Mary Elizabeth Winstead figures out that the guy at the end, because the earring is in the wrong ear. Yes. And then now people point to, well, Childs had an earring, so he couldn't possibly be the thing. So like that, like it kind of screws up that whole debate. Oh, that's a good point. Like it, it retcons everything, and it's huh. like interesting, uh, or it's true. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you'd have to ask Carpenter. I mean, it could be I mean true that's, too. that's his thing. Like, is that something that he considered? Um, and then you have to say, well, do the right. comic books count? Do the video games count? Like, what counts? Like, right. what's canon? Um, I kind of exactly no. I like Go to ahead. just. Uh, consider this its own thing um, and I like to consider the uh, you know the the the, se- the prequel is cool um, but I, I like to ignore it because that the whole thing with the ship doesn't make sense to me either which part well the fact that the the ship was up and running and you know that all that heat and energy starts melting, all the ice and like everything's collapsing. But when uh, McCready and the guys find it, it's just like that one cutout. Like I don't, it, it, it. I don't think it matches up. Again, I might have to rewatch the two of them back to back to see if it right. if it does. But like that seemed like it was a little inconsistent because you can't have something with that much energy and. That was the other part I didn't right. like. They tried to kind of show what the thing looked like. I mean, it's better than the description yeah. given in the book, which is like, oh, it had three eyes and red hair, like weird, and it was right. like blue. Well, at least he's not a vegetable. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, James like in the original movie. Yeah, he's <laughs> not plant-based. Right. <laughs> now, real quick, um, and then we're going to have to uh, wrap this up here, but did you know... I, I didn't know this until the other day that there was a quote-unquote spinoff for the thing. It's a 2015 movie called Harbinger Down with, with Lance Henriksen. I've seen Have it. Have you heard of this? I've seen it. Uh, it's very, oh, and is, it's is very it? similar. Um, I recall a specific death scene where a guy is kind of like covered in slime, almost uh, like the, uh, the, the, the Bennings... Um, thing like when we see Bennings getting uh, assimilated and he falls to the ground and like all these weird tentacles sprout out of his back and start flipping around very similar to the tentacles that come out of um, what's his name there after he has his heart attack Uh, Norris oh Norris Uh, you know with all the the tentacles that sprout out you know that we see a couple of times you know with the dog and with uh, and with Norris um it's very similar, like they find this thing packed in ice, so it's almost like whoever is the thing, like if there is still any thing left, you know, whether it you know, be McCready or or uh Childs or, you know, some of the other media is uh canonical, something got away and like they find it in the ice and it like got onto another ship but it also froze again 
and then it just wreaks havoc on this hmm. boat. Yeah, it's it's really fun, and uh, I didn't know at the time that it was a uh, like kind of like a spinoff, but I was like, this is really good. I like this a lot. I'm gonna have to check that out. I did not know that it existed. <laughs> yeah, and plus, I'm a big Lance Henriksen guy. Oh yeah, anything he's in is good. Just same as you know, Kurt Russell. It's like anything he's in, I'll watch. But um, we're gonna wrap this up quickly now. I am. Um, I just did want to say. Um, I don't know if you know. I happen to have a, the opportunity this past summer to take my wife and my son and his girlfriend to see it at the drive-in at a midnight show up here. We live in Maine. And this driving around us that's been showing horror movies every Saturday night at midnight. And we saw The Thing. And we had to go. My son and I, that's like one of our all-time favorite movies. We had to go and see that. <laughs> um, we had that uh, similar thing, but it, they didn't show The Thing. Um, it's a place that I've gone, uh, a theater near us, where they will do like a retro night. And one one year we it was Jaws and Jurassic Park. And another year it was Jaws and uh, Back to the Future. And on the other oh, screen, nice. It was was like, it the Menden Drive-In? Yes, the Menden Drive-In. Okay, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. I've been there before. Excellent. So, um, Patrick, give us your final thoughts on the film. Do you consider it scary, and would you recommend it to a younger audience? Um, I would recommend it. I can't wait till my niece is old enough to watch this, because I would love to uh, introduce her to this. She actually just watched The Monster Squad over the last couple of days for the first time. Nice. Um, she's six. She just turned six at the end of August. So you know, I think she's got a ways to go before she sees this. But I think, you know, if we kind of introduce her the way we, uh, my brother and I were introduced, which is uh, through the making of Thriller, so you get to see all the background stuff that goes on, she won't be as scared. You know, you get to see how the, the, how the sausage is made, so to speak. Um, I think this right. is one of the, the best films ever made, not just uh, uh, horror, because there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of uh, intrigue, there's a lot of, you know, who who does what, you know, who can I trust, you know, who's the thing, you know, especially that final scene, you know, is McCready the thing, is Child's the thing, you know, is he drinking a Molotov cocktail, like, what's going on, like, how does this end, and it's like that open-ended, ambiguous ending that uh, really seals right. the film for me, like there's, like I said, you know, amazing special effects that I don't think can be duplicated, uh, there's just it's it's just uh, uh, a stellar film, and I don't think that there's a, a flaw in it anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. You you pretty much said everything that's been going on in my mind. This is hands down my all-time favorite horror movie, and um, I highly recommend the audience. If you haven't seen this, we've probably ruined the movie for you, but you were warned at the beginning that there were spoilers. So go out and check The Thing from 1982, directed by John Carpenter. And Pat, it was awesome having you on the show, and we'd like to have you on again sometime. I would love to come back. Like this is uh, this was awesome. Like I love talking the thing. Thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. No problem. Thanks for being here. Have a great day. You too. Well, we hope you enjoyed this special edition episode of Then Is Now called. 13 weeks of Hellotober. If you want to chime in on today's show, please send us an email at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website, havenpodcasts.com. And we have another show called The East Meets the West, where we discuss spaghetti westerns and Shaw Brothers movies. So we hope you check that show out as well. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can find us and spread the word about Then Is Now. Join us again next episode.
podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
gotta be fucking kidding.